0: Start your free trial by going to luminary.link note to self or download the Luminary app for free.
1: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
2: Hey, it's Manouche. You're listening to New Tech City, and this is Matthew Wessner.
1: I was at home. I checked my email, and I, I
3: received a, an email which broadly described the program, and I was absolutely shocked.
2: Matthew is an American politics professor at Penn State, and he was shocked because this year the university asked him and his colleagues to fill out an online form as part of a new health and wellness plan. Okay, fine. But the questions were kind of prying.
3: Questions about whether or not the respondent was struggling with depression, whether they were uh, experiencing marital problems, either through separation or divorce, whether there was violence in the home.
2: They also asked the women responding if they planned on getting pregnant in the next year. None of your business! But if they didn't answer these nosy questions, Penn State employees would be docked 100 bucks a month.
1: We would deliberately fill it with
3: ludicrous information, not only to avoid the penalty, but also to essentially to
1: corrupt the database.
2: That was Matt's way of retaliating. It's not unusual for companies to try to cut down on doctors' bills by getting their workers to be more health-conscious. And when Obamacare kicks in in January, companies can offer bigger financial rewards to employees who do things like get their waist size measured or take other biometric tests, all well and good, unless employees like the ones at Penn State freak out at the invasion of their privacy. Jim Ruiz is Matthew Wessner's colleague.
4: I
0: teach ethics, and I I saw this as highly and extremely unethical behavior on the part of the administration, to require the faculty and staff, to submit, just to bare their souls, not only their souls, but their personal lives and their psychological conditions to
4: anyone.
2: Matt and Jim fought back. Their opposition turned into a faculty rebellion, and all the media attention forced Penn State to get rid of the penalty, essentially making the questionnaire optional. So a victory for now. But let's face it, questionnaires and surveys, they're kind of old school. What happens if you throw technology into the mix? And reporter Stan Alcorn is sitting in the studio with me right now. Hi, Stan. Hi, Manoush. And I know what you've been working on, and I feel like it would really, truly worry these Penn State professors. Tell us about it.
3: Yeah, so the survey is a really blunt instrument compared to the kind of fine-grained information that people are capturing with the latest devices and mobile apps. I visited a company that's not doing it for insurance purposes, but it shows what's possible.
4: How are you? Good to see you again.
3: At a standing desk in an open Soho office, Samantha Bernstein is scrolling through an app on her smartphone that shows when her co-workers fell asleep when they woke up and how much they tossed and turned during the night.
0: I'm like, Elise didn't get that much deep
2: sleep. Sarah Kay did. Kalisa, great night's sleep. I think that's cool.
3: <laughs> a few desks away, that deep sleeper, Sarah Kay De la Cruz, pulls up the app, too, She shows me how exactly she can track a coworker's steps throughout the day.
2: You can be like, "Oh, Douglas was probably walking to work when these bars were really high, and then he's like in the office, like from here to here probably, and then walking home doing something else." So it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of creepy. Okay, so Stan, this startup is called Tasting Table, right? And the app isn't part of their business, and like you said, they're not doing it for health insurance savings. Just because it sort of seems like a healthy thing to do for their employees, right?
3: Right. Tasting Tables' business is sending out a free daily email to food and wine lovers.
2: I have to say, I've never used them. I have small children, and I never leave the house after 7 p.m. But
3: <laughs> well, if if you get a chance to escape, uh, you might sign up and hear about a, a flight of lobster rolls you uh, might be able to check out. They they spend a lot of time thinking about food, and that's actually kind of what led to the tracking. Let me take you back to a week before my visit. Bernstein, Delacruz, and a couple dozen other Tasting Table employees were finishing a lunch of barbecued pork, pickled onions, and raw corn salad at the company's dining room in Soho.
4: Okay, everybody,
3: hello! When CEO Jeff Bartakovics interrupted. Okay, so, quick questions. What's one of the challenges around working at Tasting Table when it comes to health? Lauren?
1: (laughs)
2: Too much food! And also
3: too much sitting. So he was giving everyone who wanted one an activity tracker bracelet called the Jawbone Up. And whoever walked 10,000 steps a day for the greatest number of days would win a prize. Spin classes at SoulCycle or fitness classes at Barry's Bootcamp. Remember, this is a type A place. What did you think I was going to say? Like, that's like an ice cream cone? Like... Militaristic fitness. Brendan, what's your question? This health program makes sense for a company with a median age of 29.6, where the CEO wears Google glasses. But bosses handing out tracking bracelets could be getting more mainstream. Derek Zabia is in charge of strategic development for Audax Health.
2: There are certainly companies that are starting. It is definitely early days. Wait, so Stan, when he says early days, he means like big time early days, right? Back up a minute and explain what he's talking about that's coming to the health market from companies like Audax.
3: Yeah, so Audax is a startup, but it has big name insurance companies behind it as partners and funders. And Audax's main platform is called Zensei, and it brings together information that you give your insurer as well as the health information that you can track on your own.
2: So it's like a website that lets me see my health history, like my blood pressure, like right next to my salt intake and in my diet. So sort of like trying to, you know, draw correlations here
3: yeah it pulls it all together and they say they keep it really secure but all this makes it possible to give employees discounts on insurance when they meet bracelet tracked fitness goals and Xavier says this is only the beginning
2: from our perspective it is something that we will continue to see more and more as as uh, all aspects of the healthcare system become more accountable including
1: the consumer in that equation.
3: And I should point out, at least now, the data collected is kept anonymous. Employers don't get the specifics.
2: Okay, so, Stan, as I mentioned before, this push is coming in part because of the Affordable Care Act, right? This is going to let insurers give a bigger discount, up to 30 percent of the monthly premium. Incredibly boring to say, but that could be big money for people.
3: Yeah, that part of the Obamacare legislation is actually known as the Safeway Amendment. It was named for the Safeway supermarket chain, which had a wellness program back when the Affordable Care Act was being written.
2: Oh Yeah, I sort of remember that, actually. But now things are different because if they have these fitness apps and these gadgets, they can actually make the wellness programs more effective.
3: Yeah, that's the hope. But in the long run, there are a couple big questions for all of these fitness apps and gadgets. Do they actually improve health? And can they do it without violating anyone's privacy? At a staff meeting one week into the bracelet experiment, Tasting Table CEO Jeff Bartakovics takes a poll. Show of hands, how many people have warned them... Every day since you got it. The vast majority raise their hands. People have questions about how to track biking and how to use a smart alarm. But for the most part, they get it and they seem to like it.
1: Great. Round of applause for fitness.
3: (laughs) But to the degree that it's actually changing behavior, it's fairly modest and driven less by patterns in the data than by the simple fact that their fitness is now on display. Samantha Bernstein says she gets excited when she has time to walk home. I'm like, yes, I'm going to log so many steps.
2: And the other day I was making coffee and I was waiting for it to finish brewing.
0: And so I was just like walking laps around the island over there just to (laughs) log steps.
3: It's less the prize itself than the peer pressure and the fun. It's fun that everyone's doing it. I don't know how interested I'd be if it was just me. Yeah.
2: There has been uh, evidence to say that that social context and having some place you go at work or a time when you go and do something is still important.
3: Deborah Estrin is a mobile health expert and a computer science professor at Cornell Tech. She says the open sharing and competition of tasting table, it's obvious this isn't going to be for everyone.
2: Stan, I have to interrupt here. I'm sorry. I'm just sort of annoyed by that guy saying, like, hooray for fitness. Part of me would be, like, I don't like the idea of my boss sort of egging me on. And I was one of those people who did not like team sports. I don't know. Fitness is kind of a personal thing, right?
3: Yeah, I think that to fit into this culture, you have to be a certain kind of person and that this culture kind of uh, approach works best in these flat organizations where people really feel like each other's friends. This is basically what Deborah Astron said.
2: In a larger, more hierarchical workplace where people feel less empowered, it's going to have its problems.
3: I also talked to a privacy scholar at NYU. Heather Patterson has interviewed a lot of gung-ho self-quantifiers, but even they get share-shy when it comes to their bosses.
0: Certainly the people that I've spoken with, you know, when I, when I talk about who they are most reluctant to share information with, I'm finding again and again it's employers and insurance companies.
3: But there's also a more existential worry that she says she finds among people who've been tracking themselves for a while. They worry that they're becoming narcissists.
0: They've turned what used to be a recreational activity into a work activity,
4: a goal that has to be met.
3: Which is something that Tasting Table CEO Jeff Bartakovics is familiar with. His tracking bracelet stopped working recently. I may or may not have worn it in the shower I'm not quite sure, but for whatever reason, it stopped working. So there's that moment as I walk out every day thinking, today is not actually going to count.
2: Come on, dude, replace it. You're making all your employees wear them and you're stopped working. Stan, I have a question for you. Lift up your wrist. (laughs) I want to see those wrists. All right, listener. Stan's wrists are bare. You are now the foremost expert in tracking biometrics with bracelets. How come you're not wearing one?
3: You know, I, I'm interested, I'm intrigued, and to be fair, Jeff did order a new one that is supposedly on its way, he says, mm-hmm. but it does seem like uh, a lot of hassle.
2: I mean, I'm going to share now that I did wear one for about two weeks, and then I I, like, I got really stressed out by it. It was like one more thing to do. I had to like plug it in at night so I could see what I had done, and then I felt good or bad about myself based on what I'd accomplished. It was like one more thing to measure about myself, and— Man, I like. life is hard enough. I feel like I'm rushing around.
3: Yeah, this is what I thought, looking at people scroll through the app. I already have enough feeds to scroll through with Instagram and Facebook and email. I don't need to also be scrolling through and seeing how many steps all my friends have taken.
2: Stan, this was a really fun, weird little journey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stan Alcorn is a freelance reporter, and he also does endurance running on the side, Untracked. So while Stan was hanging out at one startup in Soho, I was hanging out at another one down the block.
1: I'm Cyrus Misumi. I'm the CEO and co-founder of ZocDoc.
2: Actually, I take it back. ZocDoc can't really be considered a startup anymore. Cyrus Misumi co-founded it almost six years ago, and it's one of the first tech companies to make good on tapping the largest sector of the U.S. economy, healthcare.
1: This is the largest sector of the U.S. economy, $2.7 trillion. If you took healthcare care out of the United States... Uh, economy it would be the fifth largest economy in the world by itself. It's as large as France. It's huge.
2: The concept of ZocDoc is pretty simple. It lets you book a doctor's appointment online.
1: I'd like to draw the analogy with airline travel. Right, Imagine that there was no Expedia or Orbitz. There was no... Delta website or JetBlue website, in fact, you had to go to each individual plane to book an appointment. And they were all small planes. And they didn't even have websites. They had phones, and they were only open, you know, a few hours a day that you could call. And that's the state of health care.
2: You can tell that this is a company in a hurry. There's iced coffee on tap in their loft offices, and Masumi is doubling his employees every year.
1: Healthcare care is the problem of our generation.
2: And of course, Masumi sees Obamacare as just more fodder for ZocDoc.
1: They're introducing 30 million new patients to the health system. 30 million. There's a shortage of doctors in the United States. There's a shortage of about 150,000 doctors people expect in the next 10 years. And technology is pretty critical in terms of how you solve that shortage.
2: But before they even get to booking an appointment with a doctor, those new patients need to buy insurance. And to do that, many of them will need to log into new healthcare exchange websites that will let them shop around for a plan they like. Sounds like fun, right? And where ZocDoc sees a major business opportunity to make finding a doctor easy, the Affordable Care Act is creating another big opportunity for other software companies. WNYC's Eric Malinsky went to visit the entrepreneurs who are working their butts off to get the technology behind the big behemoth new law to actually work.
0: Kevin Nazemi is one of the founders of Oscar, a new online healthcare provider in Soho.
1: We have 13 days, 16 hours, 55 minutes, and 32, now 31 seconds, until we delight our first customer.
0: And it actually says there, until we delight our first customer. You got it. I found the same round-the-clock atmosphere at Softheon, an IT
4: company in Stony Brook that's building online exchanges for Massachusetts. It's more like an election time. You know what happens with a political party? The people work these 18, 20 hours a day? Uh, That's exactly what we are doing right now here.
0: That's Eugene Sayon, their CEO.
4: His employees may be overworked, but they're not underfed. Basically, I said just get them whatever they want. Free lunch, free dinner, free breakfast. We cover them all up. Where's the ping-pong table? (laughs) Well, I told you we don't have ping-pong
0: foosballs. nothing in here. On one hand, a health care exchange shouldn't be that complicated. It's kind of like a travel website. Sanjay Singh runs the company Hcentive, which is creating healthcare exchanges for New York and other states. So you will come to the portal, you will provide your basic information, create an account, and after that you shop like you shop on Expedia. Now you can compare plans uh, like you were not able to do before, and then whatever you
4: like, you buy, and then you're off exchange after that. So it's pretty straightforward, except when it's not. You can enroll anytime after October 1, but your policy policy will actually will be effective as of January 1st Eugene Seon from Sothian we expect people going to be enrolled into the multiple health plans as part of the process and wait till the 31st and they're going to say oh i don't i'm not going to pay this one this one imagine that you make three flight reservations in advance the day of the flight you say you pick the one that you want to fly with
0: and here's another issue when the websites verify your identity or your eligibility for programs like medicaid they get that data from state governments or hospitals. Those records are not always state-of-the-art, according to engineers Warren Kaiser and Mario Schloser who work at Oscar.
3: A lot of the data comes from really old mainframes, from, like, probably in the same era that Tron came
0: out. If you want to get a printout of your medical history as a consumer, you've got to essentially go to all the places you've been to in the past, all doctors, all hospitals, and literally ask for a fax. You know, that's basically the prime mode of communication in the healthcare system. I think the, the main industry keeping the facts industry alive, pretty much. <laughs> Let's throw one more wrench into the gears. Us. If we type a wrong number or forget to input a piece of information, the websites will give us a false estimate of how much insurance will cost. That's what Eugene Seon's engineers are doing day and night, pretending to be us and pretending to be confused.
4: If that system is not accurate and it starts giving misleading information, that's going to turn off a lot of people. That's not going to be a happy customer.
0: And Sanjay Singh worries those customers may be fodder for critics of Obamacare. Any system of this length, you think about it, on day one, and you look at two, three, four, five years down the road, it will look so different from the initial version that was rolled out that in many cases you won't be able to recognize the original system. Some states are launching partial websites, promising to fill in the gaps by 2014. But Kevin Nazemi thinks that's a great opportunity for his company, Oscar. Every day we will be releasing stuff. And sometimes we'll, we'll have multiple releases in a single day. That's because Oscar is not a healthcare exchange, but a new kind of online insurance. If these other companies are trying to be like Priceline, where you buy a ticket, Oscar is trying to be an airline like JetBlue, attractive to young consumers. Their interface looks like a Facebook timeline. Again, Mario Schlosser. If a physician wants to know what medications you're on, he can log into a simple provider portal. He can see uh, the information about the patients he's treating that are on Oscar. And so this real-time visibility of your data as it pertains to the healthcare system uh, is a really important point of what we're building. These entrepreneurs are putting all their chips on healthcare. I'm an engineer that left comfy jobs at the New York Times, the New York Stock Exchange, and Google. We kind
4: of bet all chips on... 32 black. That's it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So far, they've weathered a Supreme Court decision, a presidential election, and now the threat of a government shutdown, hoping they made the right bet. For New Tech City, I'm Eric Malinsky.
2: Ha! So maybe you're thinking, darn, I should have gone into healthcare. Or maybe all of this information just makes you feel like running away back to the past, to the school nurse's cot where you could lie down and it was just simpler times. I know I often do feel that way. But if you are going through the portal for Obamacare, we want to know what your experience is like. Let us know on Twitter, at New Tech City, or on our website, or on my Facebook page. I'm Anusha Samarodi. I'll see you next week. Stay well.